You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 6th through Sunday, July 9th at Picturesque Birds Hill Park, Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elves, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Fruit Bats. In recent years, he's become better known for his participation in the group Bonnie Light Horseman, but singer-songwriter Eric D. Johnson's Fruit Bats project has been going on for over 20 years and 10 albums. His most recent is A River Running to Your Heart. Fruit Bats will be performing on the main stage on Friday, July 7th at 7.15 p.m. The full lineup, complete list of set times to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. coming to Birds Hill Park to play the Winnipeg Folk Festival Fruit Bats. It's the nom de plume of Eric Johnson, and he joins us on the phone. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
I'm uh, excited to have you and excited to have you out uh, in Winnipeg for, for Folk Fest. Um, I mean, I know you've been uh, a road dog for the last little while, but uh, what's your festival experience? Like, have you played a lot of folk festivals? You know, it's so interesting how the meaning of folk festival has changed mm. over the years, too. And we, I mean, we definitely see that with like Winnipeg and Edmonton and then ones in the States, too, like Newport and whatnot, whatever the... I mean, it's it's sort of <laughs> that's a whole big digression that you could go off on, sure. like what even is folk music anymore, and like sort of what does that mean? So yeah, that honestly, like probably mostly play folk festivals. Like like earlier in my career, did the sort of the Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza type circuit for a while, like when it was sort of, and that's become that's kind of veered more into pop music now. It almost feels like the sort of indie music, the indie songwriter music of my sort of beginnings have, have sort of we've all migrated over to the folk festivals now and um i love the folk festivals in general <laughs> just to lump them all into obviously they're all very different but uh there's a certain kind of listening audience to those that's really 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 cool so you kind of aged out of like the Lollapalooza probably <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I aged out and then and then obviously like the, obviously there's plenty of artists my age or even older playing those but those are like the massive alternative legacy artists and um I'm sort of, I'm just, I've been on a different track, you know? Well, well, speaking of your track, I mean, obviously, Fruit Bats, I mean, we're going back like 20, 20 years at this point? 20, uh, 22 years, yeah. 22 years, but kind of with like an interregnum in the middle with the Bonnie Light Horseman stuff, or like, were you still working on Fruit Bats stuff during the formation of Bonnie Light Horseman? I mean, the Bonnie Light Horseman act really is more towards the, 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 at least the current latter half. That was like, we didn't really get together until 2018. So yeah, I was, I was sort of full bore on, on both bands at the same time. And they have, they have sort of fed into each other in a really, really interesting way for me. Yeah. I read an interview you did with Highway 81 Revisited, where you talked about the impact of being in Bonnie Light Horseman on your own writing. And yes. you say you, you got better at writing as a result of kind of watching your bandmates. And I'm curious if you maybe elaborate on like what, what that's meant for you as a writer. Well, you know, it's like with anything too, if you get with other people who do something that you, and they do it in a way that you admire, you, you invariably are going to take some things from that. Um, and, um, and just the way that I write with them is like a first for me because I've, I, I've done, I've co-written things over the years, but never, Never where it's three of us at once doing something that we then the three of us are going to perform. You know, there's a, there's a certain intimacy that comes with with that that I had never really experienced before. So you really have to listen to the other people. So um, and we're all kind of different writers. Um, Josh has this, and this is like these are the deeply paraphrased versions of these two very complex people. So I don't mm-hmm. mean to. Uh, I don't want this is just like the one sentence, but they, they yeah, Josh has this this really vibey, almost a very kind of simple way that he likes to kind of like pare things down to like their emotional core. He does that so well. And then I always say with Aeneas, she's like a, I say no thought, no word left behind. She's very meticulous, you know, a very meticulous editor. Um, and I'm something else. I, I'm, I might be somewhere in between, but yeah, I had to. I it's yeah, it's just been basically an education working with those two. So then, I mean, in your own writing, like you, I'd read that, you know, you have kind of like produced your own demos for years and kind of like come to the table with what you want to do on a record pretty firmly in hand. Did this, 
experience with Bonnie Light Horseman and, and, and watching those two rejig some of your own songwriting processes? Definitely. I mean, and especially, yeah. So it's like you could you could kind of hit, and, and I even went so far as to have Josh Kaufman produce two records ago, The Pet Parade, because I felt so, I was like, I was so enamored of working with him as a producer as well on that first Bonnie record that I was like, I need, I want to see what this, how this would sort of translate over to the, to the fruit bat side of things. So yeah, I've, I've, I, um, and, but you know, you, you know, you pick up different things from different people over the years Two people who, you know, or just, um, influences that even of people you don't know. So yeah, the Bonnie Horseman thing is very important, but it's all also all part of a, just a whole growth thing <laughs> for mm. me too. You know, I was young when I started, so, but I, I still want to learn. The, Experience like when you're writing something, do you have a sense like this is a fruit bat song or like what project a certain thing is for? That's really the question of the year for me right now. It's it was easy the last couple years because I, it felt like the separation of the writing process was just somehow with scheduling and album cycles and things like that really worked great. Um, that said, there's been there actually are Bonnie I Horseman songs that kind of I thought maybe were going to be fruit bat songs, but turned into that so no there's there's not a there's not a real um it's all just kind of it's all me <laughs> and uh and bonnie and horseman is 30 33 percent of me but um yeah there's it's kind of like i don't i don't necessarily set out there, there's certain fruit bat songs that are deeply autobiographical from a lyrical standpoint that i absolutely know have to be a fruit bat song um that are you know very first person um, but that's more from a lyrical standpoint, and I usually start off with music. So, um, yeah, they could, they can, it could, it's, it's hazy at first until the lyrics come into play. So you start with music. Are you just kind of like building a vibe with a tune, or do you have like structured melodies that come into your head and then kind of like transpose those, or like what? What's the core of of the music for you in terms of the creation? Building a vibe is exactly how I start. And that, that's sort of like, that's really where I started off in general. Like I had a four track at home when I was young. I didn't really have a notion of like songwriting per se. I mean, I knew what that was, but I just wanted to hear the way things, the way instruments sounded together. And I was a pretty rudimentary musician when I started off too. So, um, but I still, and obviously I know way more now. So I still am often just trying to build a scene a little it and um and let it kind of take me somewhere but and then i usually have notebooks or or little little jot jotting down lyrics and things like that that come and live it's all it's all kind of collage basically so then in terms of building the vibe and then finding lyrics like it, does the the feel of the song suggest what the like lyrical theme should be in a song sometimes um although i like to subvert feeling a lot too. I like to um, put a really sad lyric over a really happy song, mm. um, and uh, I tend to write sort of up tempo <laughs> sounding music. But um, but yeah, I uh, I think that um, yeah, like the subversion of that. I was getting texts. I got to silence my phone. Sure. Um, yeah, the subver- I, I, I um, yes and no. <laughs> I'll I'll start off right like a, something like Humbug Mountain song. It's sort of probably my most popular song. That started off as a, as a very kind of dirgy, um, not dirgy, but a very kind of um, slow and and 
sort of sensitive sounding, like very Neil Youngish, um, like acoustic ballad. And then it sort of became this disc because, and it's sort of a song about sense memory, and it, it's a pretty emotional subject matter. But then it got turned into a disco song somehow. I don't know why. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I'm always aware of how uh, lyrics relate to music, but I like to flip them on their ear sometimes too. That like intentional juxtaposition is that to like challenge a listener or get them to like really listen to like oh this this happy tune I'm humming oh wait a second this is this is kind of a bummer. I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't necessarily set out to challenge a listener. I I, I um I want I do want maximum emotional impact. It's kind of the opposite because it's like I want to um. I want to sort of what I hope is, I mean, certainly with songs like I don't, and it's like some songs. Yes, maybe. But like with songs that I'm like, I recognize this as a song that people are maybe going to want to dance to, or will be a single. Cause I'm interested in that. I like have a, I'm, I'm interested in sort of connective um, music like that. I, I do love the idea of like hooking someone in with something that's like, um, that's like has big beats and makes them want to dance or, makes them kind of feel something on a sort of primal rock and roll level. And then if they, if they do get far enough to dig into the lyrics, maybe they're like, Oh, interesting. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's something to this, but I also am just like, they don't really need to get that far if they don't want either. Like maybe it just, you know, makes them want to dance and that's fine too. Speaking of hooking people in, I'd, I'd read, I can't remember which place, but that you kind of intentionally front loaded the record, the new record. Um, not this one. <laughs> I, I I used to have the tendency to do that, um, which was, I sort of it was something I always sort of liked in '60s records, you know, and um, and like, yeah, and that's not always the case. But I do love I do love to get um people sort of invested up top and like let them get into the deeper stuff later in the record. This new record, I actually like the bigger single is like a side B song, mm. "Sick of the Stealing," so it's not necessarily that with this i think that people have gotten used to streaming and it's just crazy how people sort of ingest music so you it's like um the album format is such a strange thing anymore um but i still i still sort of believe in the album <laughs> as a as a concept i still love the idea of people like going home with a with an lp or even a cd or something and sort of listening to something in a holistic way so um, but I do like to I do like to at least put a couple things that hook you in up top. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have to imagine that's like a, a particular challenge if you are someone who grew up with the albums. And I know you did the the Siamese Dreams project. You know, like clearly like an album that you grew up with and, and were fond of. And you give some thought to front to back, and then how it's consumed now might not necessarily be that way. Yeah, I mean that's like I mean the Siamese Dream thing is a perfect example too of where a that record a um. That record is very much from the almost the the prime CD era. It's really long. It wasn't even. It was. I had to shorten everything to even fit on vinyl. You know, forty forty one forty two minutes right, or something. Yeah. That record is really long. It's like from an, a very different era of singles too. Singles could be six minutes long, and so it was just proof when I sort of was studying that record sort of conceptually because it's it's very odd making an album that's already sequenced. <laughs> so you know you're like. I already know what the sequence is of this. Like if you're covering an entire album, you're not thinking about sequence after you're just sort of doing it. Um, yeah. And it sort of made me realize, I was like, I don't know, this is always the, the sort of art of, of like putting together an album and sequencing an album is an ever evolving thing too. And um, 
Yeah, I'm. You can. Josh and Anais will attest. I'm obsessed with uh, sequencing and and uh, like. Um, yeah, I didn't never realize how obsessed I was with it until I started working with two other people and made two full length albums with them. And I'm like, oh, I have thoughts on this. So, yeah, I just find it interesting. In Atwood Magazine, uh, you described your style as walking down the wrong hallway. As yeah. far as producing and writing, like, is it does that come to sequencing too? Like, kind of like. Not necessarily having like a fixed destination and seeing does this follow with this? What kind of trip do I take if I go this way? Almost like a choose your own adventure book. Yeah, well, yes and no. I, sequencing might be the thing that I have the most clarity on because mm. even when we're when we're like working on a song in the studio, I'm I'm always like that just seems like a track seven or something. Because uh, like, I always say walking down the wrong hallway as a writer or producer is like basically that I'm not Brian Wilson that I don't have a tape recorder in my brain where I know everything, what everything's going to sound like in the end. And I'm not, I'm not always like, I'm always kind of striving to zig and zag till I get to some kind of final thing. And, and I might be, my myself might be surprised by it. Um, yeah. With the sequencing, it's like, I definitely have strong ideas, but I'm also happy to sort of let them fall where they may too. And the, the title of the record is, is a line from one of the songs, but not a title track. Yes. But I, I read that you basically thought like the the notion of this river running through your heart that that's you as a songwriter trying to like connect with people. Yeah, yeah. I had a hard time naming this record. I, I um most of my records, I don't know. The last few have had like a legitimate title track, and I usually don't. I don't name the record first. It usually sort of comes to me. But the last few have, um, I guess the the previous three to this one have all had a title track. Um, that sort of names the record somehow, and you, it's a, it becomes kind of like a thesis statement. But this one, this, this one just didn't have that, and even even just the song titles just, just didn't have the right words for me too. It took me a minute, um, and then once it got sequenced, sort of listening to the refrain of that at the end of Russian River Valley, I was like, oh, there's the there's the album title right there, and and also the the, the kind of I hate using the term thesis statement, I guess, but <laughs> the the sort of central message of the record too of this of um kind of like there's there's a meandering geography to it but also there's this kind of like laser beam laser beam aimed at your emotions that i'm trying to achieve there's there there's a mouth to this river and you know like it goes a specific place but it kind of meanders along the way yeah exactly was there anything that you were listening to that filtered in because i know in talking to other artists sometimes like it's i mean it's not necessarily like homage or like aping something but just what is going on in your own kind of listening habits can wind its way into the process. Was there something that, you know, impacted this record? The last few records I have actually sort of tried to, I, I've, especially my younger songwriting years, but, but well into my album making career, I would get, I would have these sort of touchstone influence records that were like, this is what I'm trying to do. I want, stuff to sound like this or it'd be sometimes multiple records too that would really like work their way in it was a little it's been a little less so for the past few records um which is not to say i don't listen to stuff and i don't have influence or anything but i um also sort of occasionally i would get like um when i was making older records you'd get kind of like uh waylaid a little bit by influence and being like ah wait but it doesn't sound enough like such and such so i actually kind of try i wouldn't say i'm not like shutting myself off from listening to other music when i'm making other records but i do try to go 
into a bit of a wormhole and just try to be as much myself as possible. Um, I'm always trying to make things sound as fruit batsy <laughs> as possible. The last few, just cause I have so many records that I'm like, what, what is it from before that it was like, like I said, my sort of preoccupation with emotional connection. I'm like, what is the thing that has worked before and how can I do more of it? Is that more of a lyrical thing or, or the sonics? Like what's, what are all you looking back? All of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then are you like, do you purposely like re-listen to the past records? Within, Definitely within not. Ear? No, that, okay. That, that, no, that, that would, and, and listening to my past records is, is, is very strange. You know, every, every once in a great while I will. And you, you know, you, sometimes you have to, if you're like, Oh, we're going to play this older song and we haven't played it in a while and listen, but it's always, I always, I think I'm my own worst critic too. I'm always like, ah, I should have done something differently there or something like that. So it's, it's hard for me to listen to my, my old stuff. You can't divorce yourself from like listening to it as the person who created it in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Eric, I want to get you to pick a track off of the new record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Um, you should play maybe Russian River Valley. That That's like the, uh, that seems to be the one too. We've been playing these new songs and it always, you know, when we've been basically touring on this record since it came out, like we sort of started the tour right after. And it's, it's always interesting to see the ones that people are like hooking on to. And that seems to be the one. And, and I, like I said, that has the sort of emotional core of the record to it. Does it ever surprise you the ones that people respond to? Like, are you ever like, oh, wait, this isn't the one I thought would be the like resonant track? Big time, because like, for example, on the Gold Pass Life record, and you know, you always, you know, when you have a record label, you sort of have marketing meetings and stuff with your management and you like, you pick singles. And, and sometimes it's like, it's clear. And it's like right on the money, like on the Pet Parade album, the song, The Balcony was a single that was definitely like had had that vibe to it but like on the gold pass life record which is a very up record and there are a lot of songs that like um that probably could have that vibe to them it's been like the biggest songs are the bottom of it and a lingering love neither of which were chosen as singles at all those just like um and that's like part partly that's anecdotal just that shows those are big songs you know that people sing along to and Mm -hmm. you could feel that they take notice of them, but also just even in like a streaming platform kind of thing, if you look at the numbers. So it's like, I, that's awesome. That That's also sort of a wrong hallway too, where you're just like, I don't know what, what's going to work really. Um, I'm just glad that something does. <laughs> so. Right on. Well, uh, we will give that one a listen. Uh, a river running to your heart is the new record from fruit bats coming to birds hill park to play folk fest. Eric, thanks very much for taking some time and uh, looking forward to seeing you here in Winnipeg. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm stoked stoked for my first Winnipeg Bolt Fest. me 
I'm Michael Alves, and you've been listening to a special podcast about letting fruit bats will be performing on Friday, July 7th, 7.15 p.m. on the main stage at Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com, and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 6th through 9th at Birds Hill Park.